And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. All right. Well, we've been in a three-week series, as you just saw, called Water Fire Food, which is just funny and silly because... We like that. Um, And really, we've been looking at why do we do some of the things that we do? Um, Week one, we talked about water baptism. And like, we know baptism is important. We talk about it when you give your life to Christ. It's the next thing you do. um, And it's symbolic and it's meaningful and all the different parts of it. And that was a fun week to unpack it. I know some of you afterwards were like, man, I wish I could get baptized again. That was just encouraging to open up the word and look at that. Last week, we talked about fire and we talked about what is the Holy Spirit's role in our life and how John was like, I baptize you with water, but Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. And what does that mean? And Paul talking about be filled with the Spirit in an ongoing sense, how often I know many of us left encouraged. I was very aware this last week of my need for the ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit, his presence, his transformational work in my life. And I was praying for you. I hope the same was true for you. And this week is the last week, food, which is about the Lord's Supper. Um, We're going to be talking about uh, communion. Um, Maybe depending on your tradition, you grew up calling it Eucharist or Holy Communion, and we're excited just to talk about why is that so significant? Why is it something we do regularly as a community? What is the meaning behind it? I think we have different pieces we've put together over time as we've taken it or, or grown up in and around it, but we just kind of wanted to spend a little bit of time just on that subject of the Lord's Supper as we take it together later this service. So I wanted to read one of the more famous passages in the New Testament, uh, Tiger, read part of it this morning as during our worship, but I'm going to read a little bit more. So this is 1 Corinthians 11, starting in 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. Paul being Paul. He's so direct. He's like, you guys are not doing a good job here. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Stay with me. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, When we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. 
Well, Paul is all over the place here, and he's being very direct, and he's not very happy with them. He's like, hey, you, you, you're doing some things well, and you're doing a lot of things wrong. He's kind of been critiquing them throughout the First Corinthians letter, and he's like, right here, you're not doing great. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, verse 17 says. Your meetings do more harm than good. Think about that. What if Paul the Apostle showed up at church today, came, he's like, excuse me, Pastor Dan, please get off the stage, and he came and he was like, guys, when you're gathering together, it's doing more harm than good. That would be shocking. I, I don't know if we've really processed this much as a church, that there are, we have the ability to gather and not actually do what we're meant to do when we're together. That you can go through the physical motions of singing and gathering and still not be pleasing to the Lord. That we can actually do more harm than good. Many of us have experienced this. We've been hurt by the local church in some way, either in a way that was actually bad or just unintentionally uh, hurt. And we see that this is possible. This is something that Paul acknowledges, that, that we can actually do harm when we don't gather correctly that the local C church can do what the big C church wasn't meant to do, that we can actually cause harm. And he goes, you guys aren't doing a good job. You're causing more harm than good. The reason they're specifically causing harm is that when they gather for the Lord's Supper, they're being divided. That's what he's pointing out. In the first place, this is verse 18, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it which I think is just Paul's way of seeing, being like, I'm not even surprised. He's like, you guys have messed up in a lot of ways. The, the Corinthian church is one of the more messed up ones than a lot of the other churches in the New Testament, like Galatians and Ephesians, some of them. They're doing a little bit better. The Corinthians need a lot of correction. They're doing some things great, but other things they're really missing the mark on. And he's like, guys, I hear there's divisions. Honestly, I'm not even that surprised. He's like, but it's hurting people. It's causing harm. That when you gather together and take the Lord's Supper together, you're not even doing it right. That there's some people, and what happened, I was reading a lot on this this week of, of how they would take communion and they'd gather together and they would do something called agape feast, love feast, where it's basically like a church potluck. And they would come and they would eat together and at the end of it, it would culminate and end in taking the Lord's Supper together. Remembering what Jesus did, breaking the bread and drinking the wine. But what was happening is they would get started before everybody was there. That the wealthier would come and they would bring the best stuff and they would eat on their own and they'd, they'd bring their own wine and they'd be drinking it and then the working class would show up later and for some of them, they've been looking forward to it because it's going to be the best meal they've eaten all week, but all the good stuff is already gone. And so what would happen is the Corinthian church would just get in this habit and practice of being divisive and doing things on their own, and being cliquish, and he's saying, I know there are divisions among you. When you come together, he's saying, it's not even the Lord's Supper anymore. He's like, you shouldn't even really be calling it that, because that's not what it looks like. That's not what it's representing. Because honestly, as we look, and look in the context of this, and even back in chapter 10 in a little bit, we'll see a big part of the Lord's Supper is the communal aspect of the body and the individuals with the Lord. I think oftentimes we love to make things just one or the other. We're like, it's just me and God. It's a time to examine myself, make sure I'm right before the Lord. But if you look, it actually is meant to be corporate. It's something that we evaluate. And he's saying, guys, if you're coming and taking the Lord's Supper, but you have divisions among you, it's doing more harm than good. 
Paul's calling us to unity in the same way that Jesus says that we need unity. He's saying, I'm praying that you may be one as I am one. That's John 14, 15, 16. He's praying for unity and praying for the outpouring of the Spirit. He's saying, God, would you make them one? And Paul's like, guys, you're not doing it. You're, di- you're divided. We make the mistake of, of thinking I can just come and if I have communion with the Lord, then I'm good. I have my ongoing stuff with the person in the church that drives me crazy or, you know, I don't really get along with that person. I can't relate to that person. But so what? Like, I still came and I sang and I worshiped. And Paul's saying when we do that, it, it causes harm. It breaks God's heart. It's not the way it's meant to be. The word for divisions there is schismata. It's the idea of a schism. It's like being ripped apart. He's saying, guys, when the body is broken, it's Christ's body that's not meant to be broken. It's not the church. We're not supposed to be divided like that. We're not supposed to be on our own, segregated by wealth or anything else. The language he uses is kind of those of the haves and the have-nots. We see in verse 22, he says, let me scroll back there. Don't you have homes to eat in and drink in, or do you despise the church of God um, by humiliating those who have nothing? That idea is like he's almost calling them have-nots. He's like saying, there's people who have and have not. He's like, but by separating over those lines, you're despising the church. That's harsh language. That's so intense. And so what I want to do is kind of give us a few different things that we need to look at as we come to the Lord's table. A few different directions we need to look. And the first thing is that we need to look around. We need to look around. As we come to the Lord's table, I think it's important that you see who is with you at the table. We talked last week as we talked about God pouring out his spirit and how we read that quote from A.W. Tozer and he was like, if we all tune ourselves to Christ, we'll automatically be tuned to each other. When we just try to tune to each other, we're going we're gonna to be maybe getting closer, but we're going to miss it. That unity is actually found at the cross, the great equalizer that says, I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned, we're all in need of a savior. We're all in need of Jesus. And so when we come with that understanding, we can look around and say, the cross levels everything. We all come in need. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, is what Romans says. We all need a Savior. When we come to the table of communion, we must look around. It's the idea of unity. That I'm taking this with you, and I'm just as much in need as you, and you're just as much in need of me, and we're remembering our Savior and what he's done together. The second thing we need to do is we need to look upward. He says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. We're familiar with this part. This is the part we read every time when we take communion together. But have you thought about Jesus thanking for the bread? Have you thought about the significance of that, of he knows what it's representing. It's representing the breaking of his body, the cross he's about to head to. And he's saying in the middle of that, he gives thanks. How much more should we be thankful as we come to the Lord's table? We look around and we realize our need for unity and how this is the great equalizer, the cross. And we also look upward and say, God, we are grateful for the cross. 
We are thankful for your body broken for us. If you grew up in a tradition that called it the Eucharist, that's actually what it means. It means to give thanks. It should draw us to worship. It should be a time that, that points us upwards to gratitude and thanksgiving as we sang. God, I love that song that we sang where it says, come on my soul, don't you get shy on me. Because it's, it's reminiscent of David saying, oh my soul, why are you downcast? And there's this moment where sometimes we just need to speak to ourselves and say, we need to worship whether we feel like it or not. We're calling on ourselves to that place of looking upward towards the Lord. It's this reminder that we don't outgrow the gospel. I think sometimes we, we love, as we've followed Christ longer and longer, to get into the nuances and the, the small things of theology that are so fun. And I love them. And we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what Thessalonians says. But we don't outgrow the gospel. That's the foundation. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's the same way that we received him that we're called to walk in him. It's all by grace. And it's a reminder when we come to the Lord's table, I need it just as much now as I needed it then. I may have grown, the Spirit may be working in me, I may be more mature, but I am still completely dependent on the grace of God. That I cannot do this on my own. I cannot earn my way to heaven. I cannot do anything to make my relationship right with God outside of the broken body of Christ. So when we come to the Lord's table, we look around, we look up, we also look back. He says more than once, do this in remembrance of me. It's interesting that this is the thing Jesus says to do in remembrance of him. He doesn't say go and build a statue, go and, and get a tattoo or, you know, do something in remembrance of me. We all have different ways we love to celebrate and remember the people in our lives. I mean, as, as pastors, we get to walk through grief with a lot of people and the time of how am I going to memorize or memorialize them and the celebration of life and we're going to get a t-shirt and all of these different things, a tombstone. We all have different ways of commemorating and remembering those who've gone before us. But Jesus says, the way I want you to remember me is through this meal through the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup. This simple act of remembrance points us to the whole reason he came, the cross, his death and resurrection. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I think that the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, whatever you would like to call it, is not fully understood unless you understand Passover. And I think even Passover was more fully understood when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. I think they're dependent on each other. And I think we look back and remember Jesus' death, and we also look at what was happening when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and began this meal we take regularly together. For those who need a little refresher, or maybe you're new to the Bible and new to church, there was this time where God led his people out of Egypt. Maybe you've seen Prince of Egypt, the cartoon movie, right? Moses leads the people out. There's the 10 plagues and all of those things, and they get out. And on the 10th plague, before they get out, 
is the one where God is going to take the life of the firstborn sons of Egypt to get their attention, finally free his people. And it's great. And at some point, I'm sure we'll go through Exodus as a church and dive deeper into some of the meaning of all of that. But he tells the Israelites, if you take a lamb and put its blood over the doorpost, we will pass over you. The angel of death will not come to your home. And this meal is started in that moment. The Jewish people, the Israelites throughout the Old Testament had multiple meals and celebrations they would follow to remember what the Lord has done before. And this one was Passover. So every year they would celebrate Passover together, remembering God freeing them and passing over them and forgiving them. And it's in this meal, this celebration, this Passover meal, that Jesus begins the Lord's Supper. What's fun is if you dive deeper, maybe you've gone to a Seder dinner before. If not, it's something you should maybe do at some point or read a little bit about it. What happens is there's actually multiple pieces of bread. There's multiple pieces of bread. There's three. They break it, the matzah, it's unleavened bread, and they put it in what's called an akkad. That's not me speaking in tongues, that's just Hebrew. And they put it in there in the three separate pieces, and they do each, they treat each one separately. The first one has one significant meaning. The second one is the one that they break and they hide part of it and then they find part of it later, symbolizing the death and resurrection even though it hasn't happened yet. And the third one, they eat throughout the meal. What's interesting to think about is Jesus would have been the one walking them through the Passover meal as the rabbi, as the teacher, as they were gathered there. They would have been going through this meal and it's actually the meal that, it's the same meal he washed their feet. He, he had humility and as the Savior of the world washed the disciples' feet and they head into this meal and they're walking through the Passover and they get to the part where he's breaking the bread, which would have been the second piece of bread. And he says, this is my body. I think there's a deeper significance that they would have understood than we currently have. Did you know that there's a typical reading that goes along with each section of the Passover meal? And when the bread that is broken, it's called the bread of affliction, this is what they read. This is the bread of affliction which our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. Let all who are hungry come and eat. Let all who are needy come and celebrate Passover. That this is an invitation that is for everyone. That Jesus breaking this bread saying, this is my body. In fact, in the cup, in just a second, he says, this is a new covenant. This is a new way that God will relate to his people. That the old sacrificial system and the need for blood and atonement is going away. And that Jesus will be the fulfillment of that. And the new way we enter relationship with God is through him. He breaks it. And when he breaks it, he says that we should do this in remembrance of him that we need to regularly come and be reminded of the sacrifice he made for us. There's something powerful about going back to the simple gospel over and over, preaching it to ourselves daily. I love the quote about grace that says, we are never beyond the need of God's grace, that we've never become so wholly sanctified, that we've never grown so much that we're, we're, we're no longer needing God's grace, but we're also never so far lost that we're beyond the reach of God's grace. 
we're always in the place of dependence on him. And going back and taking the Lord's Supper reminds us of that. It reminds the self-righteous, you can't do it on your own. It reminds the person who just messed up and is dealing with guilt and shame, that is paid for too. The whole spectrum of what we might be feeling is dealt with at the cross. And by coming back and remembering, we remember that it's all by grace through faith. It's remembering the intimacy that we have with Christ. We look around and remember we need unity with the body. We look upward in thanksgiving. We look back in remembrance and dependence. We also look forward in proclamation. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a reminder that he's won the battle and we will ultimately see the fulfillment of that victory when he makes all things right. That we are in the in-between. That this is something we do regularly. That we proclaim his death and resurrection until he comes and makes all things new. It's also a time where we look inward. Examination. He gets intense again here. He kind of replays the Lord's Supper in the middle and says, he broke it and we do it in remembrance and the cup in remembrance. And then he goes in verse 27, so that whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. When it comes to communion and the Lord's Supper, there's traditionally four different views of what's happening. Everybody agrees that there is some factor of the nearness of the Lord. What that means, though, is different depending on your church background. And, you know, on the one end, we have what's called transubstantiation, which is the literal presence of Christ, that there's something that happens where as the elements are blessed, it becomes the actual body and blood. That would be the more Roman Catholic tradition. There's two views that are more in the middle that say there's some, this is called consubstantiation, where it's like there is a literal presence, but it's not, it's not, it's like both and. It's the actual bread and blood, but it's uh, bread and cup, but it's also the, the body and blood and it's together. And then some people are like, well, it's more just spiritual. And then on the farther end to the other side, um, there's the idea that it's purely symbolic, that it's just representative. No matter which camp you fall in, you believe that it was representative of the body of Christ and that there is some element of, of remembering and nearness in it. I like the middle views personally. I like that Luther, when during the Reformation, he would come to bring the Lord's Supper and he would actually be shaking, thinking about the, the seriousness of what was happening and the nearness of the Lord and the importance that we're supposed to come to the Lord's Supper with honor and reverence. So then when we think about that in coming, and it says everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. Because you don't want to take it in an unworthy manner. The verse before, if you take it in an unworthy manner, you're guilty against sinning against the Lord. Sometimes we like to take this so far and be like, well, I just got to make sure there's no sin in my life, which is important. We should constantly be living in repentance, but it doesn't say we can't take it when we're unworthy. All of us are unworthy, but we're forgiven by the blood. 
It says not to take it in an unworthy manner. It's the way in which we take it. If we come callous or flippant or disregarding the significance of it, if we come ignoring our brothers and sisters, if we come divided, if we have someone that we have something against and that we're holding them to, he's saying don't come that way. If we look specifically in the context of of what he was just upset with them about, he's saying you're divided. Don't come divided to the Lord's Supper. What he's saying is examine and look at the body and understand its meaning. The, the chapter earlier in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, it says, flee from idolatry, and it's talking about meat sacrificed to idols and all these different things. It says, is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all share the same loaf. And there's two different understandings of what's happening when we look at the body. Some theologians say we're supposed to look at the body and it's supposed to just only be representative of Christ and making sure that we understand fully who he is and take it with reverence. The other aspect is saying, no, if you look in Corinthians, he's talking about the body of Christ as in the church, the believers. We need to examine the body and make sure we are good with everybody else before we come to the Lord's Supper. And there's yet a third group of theologians who say, yeah, both of those. And that's what I think. I think that's pretty clear as you read both. Both are clearly represented. Throughout Scripture in the New Testament, the the bread represents the body and it represents the body of Christ and that we should come with all of these awarenesses to the Lord's Supper. We should come, do I have anything against anyone else? Do I need to forgive somebody? Do I need to confess something to somebody? Am I good as I look around in unity? Am I coming with thankfulness? Am I looking upward and saying, God, thank you? Am I coming with gratitude as I look back and remember the significance of his, his death and resurrection? Am I remembering the promise of his coming? I think when we look in those directions, we naturally will come in a worthy manner. We'll come with gratitude. We'll come with humility. We'll come with remembrance that this is all by grace. See, what was happening in the Corinthian church is they had slowly made it more and more their supper with communion added on rather than the Lord's Supper. And that's why he's like, you shouldn't even call it the Lord's Supper anymore. He's like, maybe you should just eat at home before you come. And it's not that eating together is bad. He's encouraging fellowship throughout the New Testament. But the idea is that you can't claim to love God and not love the people around you. The great command, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love the neighbor as yourself. 1 John 4, 11, dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. When we come to the Lord's table, it's a time to reflect both vertically and horizontally. Am I in right relationship with the church, with the people around me? The diverse group of God's people all in need of grace, and I am in right standing with God. It's a time that calls us to worship, to remember, to reflect. He calls us to examine ourselves. I think it's beautiful. I think the Lord's Supper is something we should look forward to, that we should celebrate regularly. People disagree with how often. It just says often. 
It says, as often as you do it. How often is often? I don't know. Often. We should maybe even do it more regularly than we do. But it's a balance of making sure we understand the significance of what we're doing and participating in it regularly. I want it to be clear that we can swing so far with the, am I taking it in a worthy manner that it becomes a a ceremony of condemnation, that we feel guilty, a reminder of our worthlessness, that we're, am I taking it in a worthy manner? I'm not worthy. It's It's not meant to be that. It's meant to be a reminder of who Jesus is, a reminder of what he's done for us, the freedom and forgiveness we have at the cross. And if we've been forgiven by him, we should freely forgive each other. If we've been loved by him, we should freely love each other and that we just say, God, once again I come needing your grace and forgiveness. I'm going to look upward and outward to see that my relationships are honoring to you and remember my need for your grace. I think it's relevant that we're taking the Lord's Supper today in that the sinfulness of our world seems to just get louder, that we're ever more aware of it. We have divisions, we have violence, we have all sorts of things that break our heart personally, in our city, in our nation, around the world. But this meal reminds us to look backwards, that we are forgiven. It helps us to look outward. It's a proclamation of the gospel that as we take it together, it's actually a mini-sermon acted out in front of us. And it reminds us to look forward that one day he will make all things right. That the brokenness of our world will be restored by his grace. It's something that we're meant to do together. Something that corporately we're reminded that we need him, not just I need him. That we've all fallen short of God's standard. We need his grace and forgiveness. So what I want to do is actually just move into a time of reflection and what Paul calls examination. Maybe it looks differently for each one of us. Maybe there's some things where you're like, yes, I am very aware of my brokenness this week and God, I repent and ask for forgiveness. Maybe, it, maybe it's more horizontal and you're like, I, I need to forgive somebody else. Or maybe I need to even go ask for forgiveness for somebody in this room. I want us to have freedom to do that. I mean, I think if we're truly honestly going to look upward, backward, around all of the different directions that come with communion, let's take it seriously. Let's make sure we're in right relationship with both God and others. So what we're going to do is we're going to just give you a minute or two. Tiger's going to play acoustically and just come to the Lord. Pray what David prayed. Search me and know me. But don't just focus only on your own sinfulness. Focus on his body broken for us. The free gift. It is a celebration more than it is a mourning of our own brokenness. It is a, a gratitude, worshipful moment as we gather around the Lord's table and remember. So let's, let's reflect together.
God, we come to you reminded of our need. God, we do this in remembrance as a memorial, a celebration of looking back and being grateful for your body broken for us, your blood poured out for us, representing our healing and newness of life in your broken body and the new covenant in your blood that we can freely have access to you. God, if we came self-righteous this morning, feeling pretty good about ourselves, we're reminded of our need. We're reminded of our own ongoing need of your grace. God, if we come feeling defeated and beat up and like we can't make progress, we're reminded of your grace. God, we're grateful. We're grateful. God, will we be united under our need for you, our worship of you, our love for you? God, would we be sensitive to your leading? God, if you're calling us to make things right with somebody else, God, would we go and do that? Would we not put it off? But we're thankful that through the cross, through the death and resurrection of your son, things are made right between us and you. Not by anything we could do to earn it, God, but by your free gift, you broke your own body. You died a painful death on our behalf. Would we never outgrow the gospel? Would it stay at the forefront of our mind? God, would we, as Paul prayed, understand to greater depth how big and vast your love is for us? God, would it not be a means of guilt, but a means of grace? Receiving who you are preaching it to ourselves once again. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com. We hope you have a great week.